Um, this morning we are continuing our message series in the book of Acts um, entitled Unstoppable. I was looking um, online this week and remembering when we first moved to New York back in 2017 and came to plant a church, to start a church just from meeting in our apartment and having a little Bible study there. I remember it was so overwhelming, the idea of planting a church in a city like this with so much going on and so much brokenness and, and all those things. And <clears throat> I was flirting with, um, when we were getting started, kind of like, uh, you know, how we would promote ourselves and how we would do our website and all those things. And, and for a little while, I went down this road, these pictures here. Um, a couple pictures on here, Rube. Will you do it for me? There you go. So I thought about that. Like this little flower, right? Just busting through the cement. Because you think about being in the city, how, how uh, hard it is, right? So we call it the cement concrete jungle at times, right? But that is such a beautiful picture. And then that one as well. It's this unstoppable force, though, of this flower, this tree that is going to grow, right? Doesn't matter what you put over it. Doesn't matter the difficulty. Doesn't matter the hardship. Um, life finds a way. Life finds a way. God has a way. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, God is going to accomplish God's purposes. And as we go through the book of Acts, that's what exactly we're talking about. You know, we've heard Acts described as the works of the apostles and the works of the church and the story of the church. This is the story of God working like God works, unstoppable, establishing, building, protecting his church, moving the gospel forward out to the uttermost ends of the earth, his plan, the message of Jesus Christ, of hope and salvation and redemption to even us today, right? He's amazing God. And so as we look back, we're in the seventh chapter of Acts today and you know, up till now, we've kind of just a brief overview. We've seen Jesus commission the church at the beginning of Acts, and the Holy Spirit comes in power at Pentecost, right? The church begins to grow from just a small handful of people, um, despite persecution, despite attacks from without and from within. And so they begin to function as a body. We talked last week uh, from chapter 6 of them uh, choosing some seven men to uh, serve tables, right? As they, um, the disciples were about the ministry of the word, but there was also other things that needed to happen, needed to be taken care of. And so that's how the body functions. We function as a body, right? Uh, serving one another. And so the church has gathered, as we come to chapter seven, the, the church has gathered and the disciples told the people to choose out seven among them that would serve full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, of good repute. And so they've chosen, and one of the people that they've chosen is Stephen. Chapter 6 tells us that Stephen was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And so Stephen was serving. He was, he was also, chapter 6 tells us, doing many signs and wonders. He was speaking with godly wisdom. And some of the instigators in the church, yeah, they've been there from the beginning, some of the instigators there accused Stephen of blasphemy, of going against the very word of God, of going against 
Moses and the law. He was talking about destroying the temple. He was stirring up trouble. And so the elders and the scribes and the religious leaders seized Stephen and brought him before the council in Jerusalem there. And they, they testified. They, they slung lies about Stephen. They bore false witness. And at the end of chapter 6, it says they were attacking him. And it says the very last verse of chapter 6, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So I'm just giving us some context as we come to chapter 7. Because when we get to chapter 7, all of that has just happened. They are attacking him. And at the beginning of chapter 7, Stephen speaks. He speaks and begins to lay out all of the history of Israel, all of the prophecies. And we're going to look at very high, uh, various highlights of this um, passage. It's a long passage, about 60 verses, so I'm not going to read it all. But I want us to begin down in verse 44 um, to start with this morning in chapter 7 and pick up as Stephen begins to wrap up what he's saying and he gets to the main point of what he's declaring there. And through this message that Stephen gives the council, he's holding up a magnifying glass for them and for us this morning, holding up a magnifying glass that they might see God for who God is, not who they want him to be, not who they think he is, but for who he is. And they're also, and he's also holding up a mirror for them to see themselves for who they are. And so he's showing us those very things this morning. So Acts chapter 7, um, <clears throat> beginning in verse 44, I'm going to read um, this passage, 44 through 60. And it says this, Stephen is speaking here. He said, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with jo uh, Joshua when they had dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked him to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Do not, did not my hand make all these things? Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. What a scene. 
Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who interprets the word for us this morning. God, speak in a way that I never could. <clears throat> Lord, pierce our hearts this morning. Wake us from our slumber, Lord. And God, may we be stirred to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this morning is Receive or Resist. Today we are all faced with these two choices as we come before the Word of God. There's really nothing else. As we approach the Word of God today and every time, there, there are no bystanders, there are no spectators. Isaiah 55, 11, Word of God says, so, so, shall, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. This morning, God is doing something. He's doing something in the world. He's doing something in you. He has been from the beginning. And he's forcing our hand this morning by bringing us face to face with his word. Because Scripture promises that one day we will stand before God Almighty, every one of us, and we'll be called to give an account. And how have we responded? Have we received it or have we resisted? And this is what um, God is doing through Stephen here before the council in Jerusalem. He's calling Israel out on how they have responded to this point in their history to God. God's word and God's work. And he is once again speaking clearly to you and to me, leaving nothing to chance. So this morning, my encouragement is for you to receive the word. But in this passage, what is God saying? First of all, we see here that God pursues. God is a pursuing God. In verse 51, he says, you, Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so you do. You resist. Something's happening. For me to resist, something has to be coming at me, right? Something has to be seeking to pursue me or to influence me, and I have to resist. Well, God is pursuing Israel and has been pursuing you and I today. And verse 1 through 50 Stephen lays out before them, see, because they're, they're attacking Stephen. They're saying, you're not, you're not respecting Moses. You're not respecting the law. You're, you're saying the temple is going to be destroyed. You, you don't respect the history and our religion and all those things. And Stephen responds by demonstrating it. Not only is he faithful to the word of God, but they, in fact, have betrayed it. They, in fact, have betrayed God. And so he goes through a little history lesson for them. And like I said, we didn't read the first 43 verses of this, but I want to just give it to you in a brief overview. He gives them a history lesson. He starts with Abraham in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 7. He says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham 
He goes on in verse 8, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. See, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. The God of glory pursued Abraham in order to accomplish his purpose in Abraham and through Abraham. The covenant of circumcision. And the point in Abraham, the whole reason Abraham existed, the whole reason we find that in Scripture is for God's promise to be accomplished. God pursued Abraham. God pursued the the children of Israel. God pursued you and I for his glory through Abraham. And then through Joseph, he says in verse 9, Stephen's just doing a, a survey here of all the Old Testament. He said, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him. Listen, Joseph in the Old Testament is a central character in God fulfilling his promise to work through Abraham and his line to bless the earth through his family. God was working in his sovereignty. Remember in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, I love this verse. As Joseph is talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery and were trying to do all these bad things to him. He says, as for you, you meant it as evil against me, but God meant it for good. God is pursuing you. God worked through Abraham. God worked through Joseph to bring about salvation, to restore our relationship, to restore their relationship to him. He goes on, talks about Moses in verse 20. He says, at this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And in verse 30, now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. Again, throughout history, we see God pursuing God pursued Moses because he was still working in accomplishing his purpose of restoring you and I in relationship with him. He worked through Moses. He spoke through Moses. He spoke through the law that might hold up a picture of perfection that we cannot measure up to. And then he goes on some of the passages that we read today. We get down in verse 45. He worked through all the patriarchs, all of those through... Out the Old Testament, he talks about Joshua, he talks about David, he talks about Solomon. Over and over again, he's saying, God was working and you were missing it. The fact that you're persecuting me for preaching Jesus, for sharing the gospel, to talk, talking about the Messiah, shows that you missed it. God was pursuing relentlessly. Isaiah 65, 2 in the Old Testament says, I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. God is a pursuing God. God initiates relationship with us, and he has from the beginning. And then he calls them out in verse 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. God had worked in them. He had pursued them. They had received the law. They had received the word of God, and they didn't keep it. You received everything they had been given was a gift. Every point of self-righteousness of the religious leaders, every gift, the law, everything that pointed towards God was a gift. It's nothing that they did on their own. And so... Stephen is being accused of rebelling against Moses, and he's showing that they're actually, they've missed it. They've rebelled against God. Have you ever gotten to the end of a movie, and all of a sudden at the end, there's this crazy ending, and you realize, wow, I got to watch that again. Now that I know, 
I go back. I remember my wife and I were watching a movie one night. We, it was like almost midnight. We got to the end of it and there was a crazy ending. We're like, we went all the way back to the beginning, watched the whole thing again with that understanding, knowing that. That was before we had kids. We, 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 got, we caught up on our sleep um, later. But he gave them the whole history and he said, he laid it out for them. He goes, I'm not, I'm not denying this. I'm not denying what God has done. But we've missed the point. You are missing the point. God has pursued. He has initiated. He is drawing. I want to encourage you this morning to look at, look back at your life. Do you see God pursuing you? He's pursuing you. He has been pursuing you. Praise God that he's pursuing me and that he has pursued me. Thank you, Lord. He has and he is. And listen, Christian this morning, he is pursuing you today. He is continuing to pursue you today. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is doing something in you, Christian. He is working in you to do his good pleasure, to bring your life in alignment with him, with his will for you. Coming to salvation is the beginning of the journey. Listen, this is not a place to just come and be a part as the community in the body of Christ. That's not primarily what it's about. Christianity is not an exclusive country club that we come and, and bar, bar the windows and just do our own thing. And People ask me all the time, can I be a part? Can they be a part? Anyone? Yes, the answer is yes. If you are broken, come. Be healed and change. God is pursuing you for a relationship with him. Are you good enough to be a Christian? No, neither am I. That is what it means to be a part of the family of God, though, is to come all who are weary, who are broken, and give God control. Relent on your running from him. God is pursuing us. He pursues us. He heals our soul through the cross, the blood that was shed on the cross. There is no works involved in that. It is by faith in what Christ has already done, the finished work. And he continually pursues us through his Holy Spirit to conform our lives to our confession. But here's the key. The Holy Spirit does the work in me. He knocks on the door. He's, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. As God pursues us, as he catches us at the cross, and then our lives belong to him, he continues to pursue us through his Holy Spirit that we might conform to his image. But it's the Holy Spirit that does the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit shows up at the door knocking with the tools. He calls us to faith. He calls us to not quench the Holy Spirit, not to, to not grieve the Holy Spirit. I had an uh, old preacher friend of mine when I was in Bible college, and he, was the, he would 
always tell me, we need to do some work on your truck. It's making a funny noise. He's an old country guy, and, and he could hear anything that was happening in the truck. And so I remember one time he said, let's work on your truck. And I was like, okay. He said, I'll come over and help you. And I said, all right. So he came over, knocked on the door. I went out there, and I had my little toolbox, you know, with my truck. And he had all his tools out there. He said, put that, put that away. <laughs> you don't have the tools for this. You don't know what you're doing. The Holy Spirit is the power in your life. Sometimes it feels overwhelming, like, man, I got to do this. No, it's surrender. You are being pursued this morning. And we do have a part in it. We do have a part. He says in verse 12 in, in that Philippians passage, work out your own salvation. He's, he's not saying work for salvation. He's saying intentionally, purposefully, work it from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing it from my heart to my mouth, to my hands, to my decisions, my goals, my plans, my attitudes every day. It's not your power. It's the Holy Spirit who changes, who nudges, convicts, comforts, challenges. And so my question to you this morning, are you feeding that sensitivity to the voice of God as he pursues you day in and day out? Are you, are you like, no, I'm, just, I'm part of the club. I already joined. I heard, I'm here, I got it, I'm at church. No, that God has pursued us. Otherwise, we become like the children of Israel who are like, oh, okay, thanks, God. We'll, we'll take it from here. We'll set up uh, you know, everything that we need from here. We got it. No, he's continually pursuing us. But here's the, here's the next truth that we see in this passage. You and I always resist. In our flesh, in our brokenness, we always resist. Resist. He says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Listen, the truth about Israel, the truth about all of us is that we resist the pursuit of God initially. Over and over again, Israel took the activity and blessing of God and used it for themselves. They missed the point. They made idols of religion. They made idols of race and culture and completely missed the heart of God. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. What is that? What's he talking about there? Uncircumcised in heart and ears. Romans 2.29 says, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Listen, the battlefield in our lives is our heart. I read this past week. What did I read? Um, I read, when we sin, we believe a lie. We believe a lie about God. Listen, God deals with our hearts. Convincing, the convincing of the truth is done by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The covenant of God and mankind is not a religious act. It's a heart act. Reconciliation, uh, reconciliation with God is not about anything I do. It's about a thing God does in me when I surrender to him. He does what only he can do and he brings me to life. So he's talking about an uncircumcised heart and a circumcised heart. What he's saying is, listen, you guys are so obsessed with circumcision, you've missed it. God wants your heart. It's faith. 
Because listen, there, ultimately there are two types of people in the world. That's it. There are those that are spiritually dead. This is what scripture says. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.1, dead in their trespasses and sins. And he said, all of us were that way. Unable to discern the things of God because I've yet to surrender my heart fully to him. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I don't know about you. I've been there. Before the, I surrendered in faith to the Holy Spirit of God, the things of God, the spiritual things were folly to me. I don't quite get it. I don't quite understand. Because I was spiritually dead. But there, there is opportunity for life for all of us. There are those that are spiritually dead and then there are those that have been made spiritually alive. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Don't miss that. We get caught up in all the other things. The great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Stephen is saying, listen, you are spiritually dead. You are blind. Just because you wear the robes and are very religious, that doesn't mean anything because God doesn't have your heart. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Stephen is making sure to let them know that this is not merely his words. Right? It's not just his argument that they're rejecting. God is speaking through his spirit and they are rejecting God, not not Stephen. Ultimately, it is God speaking. Listen, on Sundays, I do my best to present a message that's clear. I try not to be too funny, but not too dry, right? I try to use good grammar. My wife gets on me about that, and I want to. I don't want to be a distraction. But listen, I just pray that when you hear the word of God proclaimed in whatever tempo, whatever accent, the Holy Spirit speaks to you because he is speaking. And when I reject the message of Christ, when I reject the message of the word, I am not, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit. You're rejecting God as he, in his love, is reaching out to you. And this morning, all of us, he's reaching out to us. And Christian, you have the choice today to receive or resist the Spirit's voice in your life. I used to travel and sing with a, a friend of mine and we'd write music together and he wrote a song called, Who Will I Serve Today, God or Me? Man, it was powerful. We talked about this Friday night at our uh, guys' discipleship gathering. What superpower do you want? Oh no, not that one. We did talk about that too. But when the stresses of life take over, when I allow my eyes to get off Jesus, and start to get on the things and nuts and bolts of life, start to overshadow God in my heart and in my mind, I struggle. I struggle. And the solution is not to work harder, not to struggle, but surrendering my heart. Understanding. Listen, it's important that we all understand that we are inclined to resist. Like the psalm, like the uh, hymn writer wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I don't, I feel it. 
I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to, we had this discussion before church, I'm prone to automatically say, no, what, right? That's my inclination in my flesh. It's important to understand that so that I can push in to the grace and mercy of God that he is pursuing me with every day. Thomas Chalmers wrote back in the 1800s a book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he talks about there's two ways one might seek to remove the controlling affection of the world in my life from my heart and replace it with God. And he said, one is to show that the world is not worthy of our affection and will let us down in the end. I hope you know that today. The world will let you down. Whatever promises you're believing, whatever promises the government makes or the politicians or the songwriters or or whatever, it will eventually let you down. Even the promises we make to one another. And the other way is to show that God is vastly more worthy of the heart's attachment thus awakening a new and stronger affection that displaces the the former affection of the world. Listen, we have to replace the affection of the world with affection for God, and we do that by fixing our hearts and minds on Him, on His promises, and, and putting our faith in that and not anyone else, our faith in Him. Listen, don't love what you do for Jesus or what He does for you more than you love Jesus. And that's a temptation. That is a slide for all of us. The psalmist said that sin is a slippery slope. Listen, all of this, it's like the frog in water, you know, the heat gets turned up. We begin to start getting our eyes off of Christ. Before we know it, we're just acting religious. He calls us to love Him, direct our attention, our affection to Him. Even this morning, I got up, I get up early and pray a little bit and get in the word and get my thoughts together a final little run through my notes and this morning I was standing at the window in our apartment I was looking out and I was praying I was like God just use me this morning have your way it's not me it's you pierce the hearts of all of us I just kept on going in the middle of it I just God stopped me in my tracks he said good morning Steve (laughs) good morning I love you I care for you. Quit talking about what you want me to do through you today, as good as that sounds. Work through me, bring sal- Do uh, No, I want you, and I want you to want me. I was convicted, because what I wanted was his power. I wanted him to move. It seemed good. I want lives to be changed. We have to continually refocus our attention, our affection on him. The way to reorganize your affections is to reorganize your life. Understand God is pursuing, God is speaking, and I want to hear. I want to know and receive him because listen, what he has for you, not even what he has for you, who he is is so much more satisfying and trustworthy than anything or anyone else. You may hurry up and get ready and Get out the door and pursue today. John Piper says, the challenge is not merely to pursue righteousness, but to prefer righteousness. And to prefer righteousness, I have to prefer Jesus. I have to 
know his heart. I, I need to want his heart. So God pursues. We, we resist, but ultimately, lastly, God persists. Thank God. Aren't you glad that God persists, that he doesn't take that initial, no thanks, no Aren't you glad that he continues to, to whisper your name? He continues to come to you, remind you of his love for you. He is faithful. He keeps his promises. Christ wins. Yeah, that's good news. Verse 55, again, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen knew in that moment, God wins. God is faithful. God persists. He doesn't leave me. He will never leave me. Verse 51, that passage, that verse we were just talking about, he says, you always resist. That means God is persistent. Always. It's not just once. He is pursuing. He is pursuing. He is knocking on your heart. He is stirring you from your slumber. And he continues to do it. Listen. Stephen was in pain. He was being killed. He was being tortured at this moment. They were, gonna, they were stoning him. They were killing him. And God did not stop it. He could have. Why didn't he stop it? He didn't stop it for his glory. And that was okay with Stephen. Oh, to get to a place where I want the glory of God. I want His satisfaction first and foremost in my life. That changes, that changes life. That changes how I see difficulty. That changes how I see struggle. Listen, what is beyond the grave is incomprehensibly greater than anything, any experience, any vacation, any dream, any relationship in this broken world. And so Stephen, as he saw Jesus, he was reminded in God's grace, he gave him that vision, showed him he was going home. Stop holding on so tightly to this broken world. Hold on to Jesus. Listen, sometimes God doesn't rescue you from trouble, right? Sometimes he rescues you through the trouble. He goes with you in the midst of that difficulty and brings glory to himself. And his word tells us he brings good to us. He doesn't remove the pain. But here's a wonderful promise this morning. God's faithfulness of his persistence. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Not for you're going to do something cool. Not because you're going to just protect me. He doesn't even say that. He says, you are with me. You. What a gift. Relationship with Christ removes fear. God does not want you to live in fear, holding on to the things of the world, holding on to your, your plans and your dreams. He loves you too much for that. Stephen didn't see what everyone else saw. In verse 55, he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen didn't conjure that up himself. That was a gift. 
God peeled back the veil and showed him that he was on his throne. He had him in the palm of his hand. We go through life sometimes or just seasons living in in a type of spiritual mediocrity. We, we become cold and dull to the, to the voice of God because oftentimes we're shortcutting God's plan, right? We take things into our own hands because God's not acting quick enough or the right way. We want the path of least resistance. We abandon faith for reason too often. And we take ourselves off the altar before we see God do what only God can do. Listen, I want to ask you this morning, are there areas of your life where you are waiting on God? Because sometimes he calls us to wait. He often says wait, and sometimes that's a painful place he asks us to wait in. But we have to know that he is pursuing, he is continually working for his glory and for my good. But the only way we can truly experience that walk in that fullness is we fix our eyes on him. We make him our greatest affection. Stephen's message to these religious leaders these leaders was yes, they'd rejected God over and over again. He pursued them. They had crucified the Messiah and yet he was full of grace. Yet there was still grace. Yet God persisted in his love. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Listen, It's easy to sit back when we read some of these passages about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the the council and the elders and say, shame on them. We are all Sadducees in our flesh. We have received the gift of grace. We have not resisted it. Those who know hope this morning know Christ. That's the gospel. I mean, God pursues In creation, God pursued a relationship with us. We sinned in the garden. We ran. God pursued again. God pursued. God pursued through Jesus. He won the race in Jesus, and and yet many of us continue to resist. Listen, He is faithful. He loves you. He's pursuing you. Every area, every part of your heart, every little dark corner, maybe those difficult places where we've thought, you know what? Maybe God just doesn't care about that, or maybe I'll just, I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll remove that off the, the altar, and I'll just, no, that is the place. It's not, it's often not the big things. There was a long, there was a long time when we got here in 2017 where we were having all kinds of struggles, and I was like, God, come on, give me a break. I moved to New York City. I'm here to be a church planner. I'm a pastor. Come on, what else do you want? <laughs> he showed me, I want the little things. I want everything. It's a lot. It's everything. I remember my grandfather as he sat or laid in his bed dying. The last couple days of his life, he called the family and we all came in there and he, he was in great pain, but he kept saying, he wouldn't let me leave. He said, Steve, sing another hymn. Sing another hymn. Sing great is thy faithfulness. Sing how great thou art. Oh, I want that face. I want to see life that way. I want to see death that way. God knows what is best. He is is worthy of our faith, our trust, our surrender. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, but here's a warning. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, 
and he was murdered. Is that the kind of life you want? Would you rather live 50 more years pursuing your dreams and your plans? Or would you give it up and go home to be with the Lord tomorrow and be in the center of his will for your life? If not, why not? Because that may be where your affection is this morning. Your allegiance. Until I want everything that Christ wants for me, the good, the bad, the ugly, my affections will be in other places. And I will live in resistance to the Holy Spirit's leadership in my life. So in closing, we see in the history of Israel, we see throughout Scripture that God has demonstrated to us. He's made it clear. Listen, I'm pursuing you. I'm coming after you. I know you don't have the strength to come after me, but I'm coming after mankind. I'm coming after you, coming after your heart. I want a relationship with you. That's why you're here. He broke down every barrier to it, and yet he gives us the responsibility, the freedom, the grace to receive it or resist it. And our default in our flesh is to resist. But praise God, he persists after us. And listen, Christian, the Holy Spirit is pursuing you today. If you could see behind the veil of what God is doing in your life, you would see that he is speaking. He is calling you. He is drawing you out deeper. He holds the hope you've lost. In him is the joy that is fleeting in this world. He's holding the healing and encouragement that you need. In the palm of his hand is true meaning and purpose for your life satisfying grace. Ultimately, he is pursuing you to give you more of himself. God knows that's what you and I need this morning, more of him. And when you have him in life, in death, in loss, in gain, you have peace. Stephen had peace. He was calling all those within the sound of his voice before he took his last breath. To not resist, but put their faith in a loving, pursuing Father that we cannot find on this earth. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your persistence, God, in, in pursuing me. Lord, there are days when I get up and I'm out the door and I'm running and I am, I am living life on my own terms. And God, I, I need you. I need your spirit reminding me, slowing me down, speaking to me. God, may all of us organize our lives in such a way that you are on the throne so that we might, we might live life with satisfaction even in the difficult times. We might know that even in the trouble, you are on your throne. You are pursuing. You are working. You are active in our hearts and lives. And you're persistent, God. When everyone else turns away, when everyone else gives up, you continue to pursue. We thank you that, that you paid for catching us on the cross. You paid the price that we might be in a restored relationship with you today. Walking in faith, living in faith. God, may we trust May we trust you every day. In Jesus' name.